Welcome to episode 63 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live in the vault studio from the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my co-host, my colleague, my good friend, and the man who is still recovering from the change to daylight savings time, John Scott Sloat. It's been a particularly difficult change to daylight savings. Yeah? Yes. Usually, I have a trip to Taiwan this time of year, and I just miss it. And I yeah. come back to a new time and jet lag and all those things. Yeah. But to experience it, it's just terrible. Why do we do this to ourselves? <laughs> uh, we do this so that it stays light in the, into the evening hours when it's warmer. Yeah. I, I, mean, I suppose that's true. But it, I, I am whooped the last couple of days. Just tired. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, but it's a sign that spring is on the way. Though we keep yeah. moving this earlier and earlier, uh, this whole daylight. Like I, I remember it used to be like – late March when we do mm, this. Interesting. Not like second weekend of March kind of thing. But interesting. Yeah. And we we were talking pre show that there's a there's a bill in the Senate, I think, to uh take it away, which would be interesting. Well to actually make it permanent, meaning that we right, would just stay on this current one hour ahead forever. Forever. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did I don't know this because I'm not a, an Indiana native. But apparently, like that's it's that's controversial around here. The whole oh, daylight people, savings time around here. I I, I don't get are it. Crazy about it's, it. Yeah, it's some weird controversy that we outsiders are not privileged. No, to I don't. I don't get it. Of. And it's been like fifteen years since that was yeah. reality, and they still complain about it on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you, wild stuff. Yeah. Well, you can find people complaining about everything on the internet. So, but yeah, I, I don't get it. And you know, you can send all your uh, explanations to the podcast email. Sure, which, which comes, is which comes to my phone. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is various and sundry podcast at gmail dot com. You could also reach us on Twitter at v and s pod. You can hit us up on Facebook. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Various and sundry podcast. And we do have our own YouTube channel, which you can go to and subscribe as well. We would love for you in whatever venue you consume our podcast if it's possible to leave a rating and a review that helps five uh, star reviews only yes yes of course five star reviews only of course so well as we are in the uh on this monday afternoon as we record yesterday was selection sunday and john the madness is about to truly begin here yeah on friday this year though Normally, yes. normally it's on a Thursday. Yes, um, the game start, but this year it's Friday for whatever reason. But yeah, it's been it's been two years since we've had uh, since we've had this. Yes, yes, indeed. I, I remember that being a an especially crushing blow last mm-hmm. year because I do look forward to this time of year in terms of I think this event in part because it's spread out over several weekends, and also because it combines. You know, you have just the Cinderella effect as well as the um, – since it's a one-and-done tournament, it just feels different than other sporting events. I mean obviously you have the NFL playoffs, but you know the disparity between a, a Kansas City and a Cleveland is not that great. Even though it might feel great, I mean that was a one-possession game sure. This in the divisional playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so in the NCAA tournament, you've got these really small schools – 
that are that nobody even knows exists unless they're like from the area, except for the fact that they get into the NCAA tournament. Like, oh, interesting. I did, I've never heard of that school before. Yeah, you get your Wichita's in there, and you get Wichita State. Yep. Yeah, Loyola coming coming out of nowhere. Yeah, and, yeah, and of course you get your directional schools in there as mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. So, but um, well, why don't we right off the top of the program here? Let's make sure people know how to participate in our own bracket competition. We wanted to do this last year, and obviously COVID killed that among many things. And so we are renewing this or actually doing it for the first time, I suppose. John, how does someone participate in our bracket challenge? Yeah, so it's on both our Facebook page and our Twitter page right now, um, and we'll put it out again probably Wednesday or Thursday this week again. I think um, we should put one out every day. Every just day. Just a reminder. <laughs> hey, we want to get as many people as possible. We've already got like 10, 9 yeah, or 10 nine, so nine far or as yeah. of recording it now. So, um, But we'll, we'll certainly in the show notes here, um, any of our social media should be able to find a link. Uh, to sign up and then make it nice and easy. For and we're doing it through Yahoo. Yahoo. Yep. yep. Yeah. You'll be able to find our, find the link on the social media uh, venues, but uh, we're doing it through Yahoo. It's the various and sundry. It, it is various and sundry podcast group, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'd love for you to participate in that. And if you happen to win, not only do you get bragging rights, but uh, you'll get a signed copy of one of my books. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's something to look forward to. And let's let's dive in. Did you watch any college basketball over the weekend, John? Nope. Not okay. a lick. All right. So that that makes so, you even better poised to probably do well in yeah, the bracket yeah. competition. Per, perhaps. I, I don't know. I'm chronically with college basketball. I'm more – I catch maybe six or seven games a year and then uh, – watch the tournament all the time and yeah. <laughs> quickly learn who the players are and, and sure. who's who's poised to do really well. Yeah. Um, but why don't you fill me in <laughs> on uh, college basketball from the weekend? Yeah. So this past weekend, conference tournaments and such, uh, the two that I paid the most attention to were the Big Ten. OK. Of course. Yeah. Of course. And uh, Ohio State – had a good run. Uh, they came into the tournament losers of four straight games. And so you just kind of wondered, are they going to turn this thing around? What's happening? And uh, they won three games to get to the uh, tournament championship game on Sunday. So they beat Minnesota, in which they led by 12 with a minute and a half to go and saw their lead cut to one with 15 seconds. They're terrible at closing out games. Classic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Purdue, they led Purdue for almost the entire game on Friday and uh, allowed Purdue to come back and tie it, send it to overtime. And then they won by like nine in overtime. <laughs> I do remember seeing tweets about these games. So, yeah, all of this is I, – I saw Purdue fans and Ohio yeah. State fans going at it on Twitter. Yeah. And then Saturday in the semifinals, they played the team up north and they won that game. However – they managed to nearly blow a it was like a seven or eight point lead late, in which Michigan had the final shot, and um, one of their better players missed a three, a contested three that would have won it. So they survived. And then, then yesterday, Ohio State ran out of gas, lost to Illinois in overtime. So 
two overtime games, all of them, you know, other yeah. two games tight. Like, I think Ohio State is just gassed. But, yeah. I mean, that's not to take anything away from Illinois. Illinois is a great team. They are a well-deserving one seed. So um, that was the uh, the Big Ten tournament. The other tournament that I kept an eye on was the Mid-American Conference, John. <laughs> the Mac? The Mac. I was I was all in for some action <laughs> this, this past weekend. Because my beloved Ohio Bobcats, my own alma mater, managed to, as the fifth seed, I think, win the conference tournament. Wow. And make the NCAA tournament. So first time since 2012, which an interesting did you know fact. The last time they played in the tournament, John, they actually won a couple of games. Do you know one of the teams that they beat in the tournament last time? Oh, my goodness. I remember this. Uh because this is this was the year I think Ohio State went to the Final Four. Yeah, did they beat? I want to say they beat a blue blood. They sure did. Was it Duke? Nope. It wasn't Kentucky. Nope. Um, it wasn't Kansas. Look to the north, John. Look to the north. Did they beat? Uh, they beat Michigan. Michigan. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yes. And so that was back in the day when. When uh, when Michigan fans love to try to insult Ohio State by just referring to them as Ohio and not Ohio State. Mm. And so, of course, there was all sorts of delight on social media about Michigan losing oh, yeah. to both Ohio State and to Ohio as well. So, But one of the things to look for with Ohio, they have a good – they have a matchup. They can win a game or two. They're, they're, they're good enough to win a game or two. So who do they, who do they have at the outset? They have Virginia. Okay, Virginia is a, is a good team. They're a four seed, but they're currently in COVID quarantine. What does that mean? Meaning that they can't practice. They are going to be out of quarantine, from what I understand, by the time they would have to play because they had a positive test in their program. Okay, so the whole team doesn't have COVID. They're no, just I in think quarantine. one player had it. I think. Well, they don't say it was a player. They said it was one tier one personnel. So that players, coaches, I forget how, where they draw the line on that. But uh, so in any case, something to keep your eye on with Ohio. They, let me, they let have me a, tell you the verbiage that we've adopted. Yeah, tier one personnel yeah. of the basketball, sort of team. like um, uh, essential essential workers. Worker. Yeah. <laughs> Wild. In, in any case, I got to keep your eye on for Ohio. A kid named Jason Preston. Fascinating story. Came out of high school, had no D1 offers. Okay. Went to a, a prep school and basically like did one year of like a prep school after college, sort of a college prep kind of place and put together his own like highlight reel and plastered it all over social media. Like and, got his friends to retweet it. Yeah, and, like, like okay. got it to, to go wide enough where he ended up getting offered by Ohio University. Mm -hmm. And he's averaging like 16, 17 a game. That's awesome. He's he's their best player. And he has a chance, I think, with a little bit more development of strength. Like he, he could have an outside chance of making it to the league down the road. That's a positive social media story. Yeah. And yeah. we need positive social Fascinating. media stories. Fascinating. Yeah. So in any case. Um, so I thought we could briefly just go through each region um, and, uh, and and just talk about briefly top two seeds here. So starting in the West, uh, you've got Gonzaga as the one and you've got uh, Iowa as the two. Now, here's a place where I think 
the committee missed an opportunity because Gonzaga plays the winner of one of the play-in games between sure. Norfolk and Appalachian State. Oh, they could have done that against Michigan? They could have put that against Michigan. <laughs> they weren't thinking about the ratings, obviously. I know. I know. So, yeah. So the mm. West, Gonzaga and Iowa out west. Uh, in the east, you've got uh, the one-seed Michigan and the two-seed Alabama. Starting to sound like more college football there. but Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and Alabama, they've got a good squad. They do. They do. They have a, they have a fast-paced uh, style of play that uh, can be difficult for teams to adjust to. Also, uh, Alabama's playing a team that I only ever hear about during the tournament, Iona. Yeah, yeah. I only, I, I don't think they even have academics. They just have a basketball <laughs> team that shows up every March. That's right, uh, that's right. Uh, to, to play ball. Yeah. Then in the South, you've got uh, one seed Baylor, and the two seed there is uh, Ohio State. Okay. So uh, not... Not a bad draw for Ohio State. Baylor's Baylor was terrific, but they had a COVID shutdown of like two, three weeks. And they and just haven't been the same. They haven't been the same. They've hmm. been they went from being great to really good. So it'll be interesting to see if they can recapture some of that early magic. How much how much research uh, have you done on Oral Roberts? Um, Oral Roberts is one of the best offensive teams in the tournament by the metrics. Interesting. They've got a guy that scores like 25 a game. Okay. Um, however, they are statistically the worst defense in the tournament. Wow. Yeah. So okay. we'll see if, uh, if that's Does man- Carmelo Anthony play on that team? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. It's a graduate student. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how, what kind of damage Ohio State can do. Um, Purdue is also in that bracket, in that region as well. If they advance, they could get uh, a Sweet 16 matchup with hmm. uh, with Baylor. So, okay, be interesting to see what that what that looks like. And then in the Midwest, you've got Illinois as the one seed, and you've got Houston as the two seed. Interesting. Hard to know what to make of them. They're they're good, but they play in a weak conference. So it's always challenging with teams like that when you. When you get a team that just dominates their own conference, but they're getting the steady, steady drip of poor competition, comparatively speaking, will they be ready for March? Hard to know. And uh, and uh, truthfully, this is the first time I've been scrolling through the tournament. Um, who who missed out? Who who got left off? You see, I didn't watch any of the coverage last night because um, I had Life Group, and then just. I don't find that coverage that interesting because I just think, you know, all these so-called experts are often wrong. And I get I get weary of hearing, you know, the the talking heads talk about, oh, I can't believe this team got got, you know, left out and but then they refuse to say who should be taken out. Who should be taken out? Yeah. Like sorry, it's a 68 team tournament. So and that's you, that's not necessarily what I'm saying. Um Duke is not on this. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, so Duke is not in, Kentucky is not in. Indiana is not in. Um, there was another blue blood. Oh, I think you – no, wait. Is UCLA in? I can't remember if UCLA made it. North Carolina is in. Yeah, I don't think UCLA is in. I, maybe I Did Kansas that. make it? Yes, they Kansas did. Yeah, did. They, they went on a late season run. Where yeah, they, they got a three seed. Yeah, they went – they were wow. struggling and then they, they figured out a way to turn it around. So they, they're, they're one of those dark horse teams that potentially is – Flying under the radar, unusually. 
So, by the way, I, I don't think we've talked about this on pod. Did you see what happened to Patrick Ewing at Madison Square Garden? Yeah, that happened this past weekend or well, late last week, I guess. So, Oh, my goodness. Yeah. How do you not recognize Patrick Ewing? He's seven foot tall. Yeah. And his, his, he's right. His name is in the rafters. Yeah. And he has a per- – like, I get he's probably wearing a mask, but he has a pretty distinctive looking face too. Mm-hmm. He's not – Yeah, he's ugly as sin. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's not the prettiest man, but um, he I, – I don't get how that's possible, how you don't recognize him. Like who do you think he is? Yeah, yeah. Like just some random guy who happens to be seven feet walking in like a player's or coach's entrance? Like who do- – and you asked him for his pass. Man, yeah. that guy's got to be fired at this point. Anyway, yeah. that was – I saw Georgetown on that list. Yeah. I'm glad they won the Big East. Excited yeah. to see what they do in the A little bit of a – that was an upset though. They, they beat Villanova. Villanova has been terrific, but their best player I think is out for the rest of the season with some kind of injury, maybe a knee or something. So, And I'm, I'm a big – I'm a big Patrick Ewing fan obviously. So obviously. I'm excited to see – I'm excited yeah. to see what he does in the tournament coaching. Um, I think he wins the tallest coach um, award. Probably, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't know of any other seven footers that are probably coaching. Yeah, though Jawan Howard, I think, is like six ten, six eleven. He's not a seven footer, but he's close. Well, maybe him and Patrick can go at it, you know, on the court. Would they have? Well, they would have played against. They would have each played other against each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Little, uh, you know, if they go to overtime, those two teams play go to overtime. Just have the coaches play one on one out in the. And and I heard something about the tournament. Maybe you can confirm this for me. That teams only need with COVID, they only need five players to play a game. Yes. Is that normal, <laughs> or is that just sort of like a hey, this is COVID right now, and we're we're going to put this in place that a team only needs five players to to play a game? I yeah, I don't. I don't know that there are any restrictions in the past. I mean, basically, you got to have five guys to put on the floor, but I'm not sure if that's something brand new or that's wild um, to me. Yeah, I, I you would hope it wouldn't come down to that. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'd love to see it. Like I'd love to. I would tune in for that uh, to see these teams sort of. Well, you know, uh, Michigan's taking the floor and yeah. only has five players because the other 12 are yeah. COVID there was, quarantine. There was a game a few years ago. I don't remember the teams now where I think a team was only able to dress like seven guys because of sickness and that sort of stuff. Obviously, well before COVID. And they had three guys foul out and they played the last like, I don't know, maybe like the last five minutes of the game with four guys. Wow. And they still nearly won. <laughs> so in any case, um, tournament action starts Friday, though the first four games actually start Wednesday. But for our bracket competition, you just have to have your uh, mm. picks in before noon on Friday when things okay. tip off. Sweet. So, Looking forward to it. Should be yes, fun. absolutely. One other sports nugget before we move on is the fact that uh, Drew Brees made it official. He's retiring from the NFL and no doubt um, figuring out which uh, broadcast network he's going to work oh, for. NBC. He landed on Has NBC. Okay. Yeah, I got the notification this morning. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So he's uh, you know just going to continue to roll in the dough. I'm sure NBC opened up the vault and, and oh, yeah. gave him truckloads of money. Well, there was – so he put out a workout video about a week ago and people were looking at it and analyzing the workout video and noticed that he had significantly more hair 
in the workout video hmm. than he normally did in the course of a season. So that fueled a lot of speculation that he was going to leave football and go to the booth. So you're suggesting maybe he hit up uh, LeBron James for uh, some uh, suggestions on a hair clinic to, to help him out. Yes. I also saw a poster for Space Jam 2 with LeBron James and Bugs Bunny. Okay. And they they had an air and somebody put over an arrow pointing to LeBron James's hair and says greatest CGI work of the year uh, up for an Oscar, you know. Yeah. Yes. Which I thought was great. Yeah. So um in, in anyway, uh we could easily go on, but we do need to talk about our main topic for the day, which is we're going to continue our series on the creeds. Yeah. So, um this is episode. It's our third episode on the creeds. Third episode of three. Yes, uh, talking about some of the key creeds. We've talked about the Apostles' Creed. We've talked about the Nicene Creed, and today we're talking about one that some people call it a creed. Others people, other people call it a definition. Yes, yes. <laughs> But whatever we're calling it, we'll go with creed just because we've been working on. We've the creeds, been working yeah. working yeah. our way through the creed. The 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 subject matter is certainly creedal worthy. Creedal, yeah. yes, yes. So, uh, this one was uh, settled at the Council of Chalcedon mm-hmm. in four fifty one. I think four fifty one. Yeah, yeah, yeah four fifty one. Okay. So, John, why don't you walk us through the history here? Just what what was going on that necessitated this and led up to this uh, creed? Well, I I think um, we'll, we'll get to the very specific of that in just a moment. But it's important to remember that that this sort of definition with Chalcedon is going on while the empire is collapsing um, mm-hmm. ar- around it. So, uh, vandals at this uh, Leo, who we'll talk about in just a moment. Um, was negotiating with the Vandals and with the barbarians who were coming in to sack Rome um, while also writing about this topic um, over here. So what's going on with this creed? Uh, really, it's a, f- it's a little bit of a follow-up, uh, I would say. You know, where yeah. Nicaea was defending the point that uh, Christ is fully God, you know, because there were people out there saying, eh, he's lesser. Right. Um, Nicaea was really saying that. Uh, and then it kind of got to the point where some were taking this too far and saying that he's so God that he's not human at all. Mm-hmm. And so Chalcedon really steps in and gives us some some solid definition of, of Christ's uh, nature, of his two natures, of his humanity and his divinity, mm-hmm. uh, uh, both fully man and both fully God. Okay. Yeah, so um – any any additional historical context that you think might be helpful for us before we actually read the um, the creed or definition itself? Yeah, um, uh, a fellow named Eutychus uh, would have argued that Christ had a singular nature uh, that was fully divine, and I believe he would have also said he also has a uh, human nature, but it's like a drop in the ocean mm-hmm. of his divinity. Yeah. Um, which is a wild way to put it. Um, (laughs) You just don't see that much art in modern day theology, you know, uh, quite quite as much. Yeah. Um, Maybe maybe that's me throwing a challenge out to you, Doc, for your next book. Um, And then uh, and then uh, a fellow named uh, Flavian, I I believe Antioch, 
um, accused him of heresy, um, you know, kind of kind of a classic move. Sure. Um, and uh, and banished him from Constantinople, uh, another kind of classic move. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the two of them sort of start going at it. And then they appeal to Rome, uh, which is an interesting, uh, interesting move. Like it hadn't necessarily been been done uh, up until this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that causes Leo, who is who's known as Leo the Great, uh, to kind of come in uh, and write uh, what is known as his tome, uh, which is basically answering uh, this question. And, and he really gives us the one person, two natures, hmm. fully God, fully man. Um, yeah, and uh, my goodness, um, I always say this in my church history class, but it is it is very much a Western person coming in to settle an Eastern problem. And this furthers the divide that we began to see and we hinted at last week yeah. in Nicaea. It, it, it furthers that divide um, and will eventually lead to 10, 1054 where, the, where yep. the schism happens. Yeah. And some of that uh, too is reflected even just in language, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got the Western church, Latin-based sure. language, and you've got uh, the Eastern church, Greek-based. And so even some of that becomes – noticeable as as church history unfolds in terms of difference in language, difference in culture, difference in approaches to thinking about some of these different theological issues. Well, and you know, one of one of the interesting things uh at the schism in 1054 when uh the pope sends one of his uh one of his cardinals down there to to deal with this. Uh he sends a guy that doesn't speak Greek. Mm. He only speaks Latin. Uh, and, and, you know, that's <laughs> – for negotiations, that's not helpful. No, really not. And it's sending a really bit of a not. message in and of itself. Yeah. So are we ready to read this? I think so. Uh, do you want to uh, – I feel like I've talked now for a little bit. Uh, do you, do you want to <laughs> – Well, it wanna... is at least half your show. So. Yeah, it is, it is half my show. <laughs> so uh, do, do you want to give it a read? Sure. Okay, lovely. Okay. We then, following the Holy Fathers – All with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a reasonable soul and body, consubstantial – let's come back to that term (laughs) – consubstantial with us according to the manhood, in all things like unto us, without sin. Begotten before all ages of the Father, according to the Godhead, and in these latter days, for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son, and only begotten God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. Nice work. 
Yeah. You, you didn't stumble at all. Well, yeah, my uh, telecommunications background comes yeah, in handy yeah. occasionally at least here. That, so. was, that was ling- linguistically tricky. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. So um, – yeah. So when you when you read through that, John, what are what are some of the phrases or the clauses or lines that grab attention that we should maybe focus on? Um, well, the, probably the first one um, we come across, and I'm looking for it right now. Uh, truly, God uh, and truly man, mm-hmm. um, uh, consubstantiated according to to manhood, and all things like us without sin. I, yeah. would, I would say that section right there. Uh, also, I missed it before, perfect in Godhead, perfect in manhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, there seems to be several attempts to go, Jesus is fully God, Jesus is fully man. Yeah. Yeah, and that's um, that's kind of the um, – that's really the punchline at the end of the day. At the end of the day. You know, if you – and we'll circle back around to this at the end of our discussion. But if you take nothing else away from what we're t- what this definition or creed is trying to get at, it is trying to make clear – that Jesus is fully human and he is fully God. Yeah. And of course, let's be honest, like that blows our minds in terms of trying to put that together, right? Right. The, uh, what's, what's the theological term for this? Hypostatic union? Yes. Um, that, that God is 100 percent man, 100 percent Jesus God. is fully uh, – yeah. Yes, yes. Jesus is 100 percent man, 100 percent God. Yes. Um, it does. It blows the mind a little bit. Yeah, and so on the one hand, you want to give a little bit of grace to those trying to wrestle with this and figure absolutely. it out. Absolutely, yeah, um, absolutely. But at the same time, the uh, trying to put this together in in a concise way, it's part of the beauty of a creed. Really, is trying mm-hmm. to come up with common language that we can all say that gets at what we're trying to say that the scriptures themselves teach. And again, that's an important piece to 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 keep reminding us of, that these creeds are an attempt to summarize mm-hmm. what the Bible itself says about Jesus, not some sort of uh, extra attempt on the side as a, oh, let's make this authoritative too. It's, well, no, this is an attempt to summarize in a memorable form, in essence, what the scripture teaches about Jesus. Um, anytime I think of this creed, uh, I often think about uh, Shai Lin uh, and his – he has a <laughs> he has a, uh, a song called – I believe it's called The Hypostatic Union and he raps about um, uh, Jesus being 100 percent uh, man, 100 percent God. And then he goes, 200 percent? You know, <laughs> it, it's, it's funny. But. I will resist the urge to ask you to go ahead and drop a few lines of that. I can I can pull it up on my phone and play it through the microphone. <laughs> That's okay. That probably violates some sort of copyright. Oh gosh, yeah, I don't want to get into that. Um, but uh, yeah, let's go back to that line in back to this line of um, according to uh, let's see one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures. Mm-hmm. Inconfusedly, in other words, the two natures don't um, get mixed up with each other to create a third sort of mutant hybrid sure. which, nature. Which was an argument somebody was making yes. at that time. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, and and really, even the um, 
there were some attempts to be like, well, you know, so the the divine part of G- Jesus was his spirit, but he mm-hmm. had like a human mind and like like trying yeah. to really parse out even those pieces of things. Oh, yeah. Uh, so this is an attempt to say, no, he was fully God and he mm-hmm. was fully man. He had a human mind, a human spirit, uh, et cetera. So inconfusedly, unchangeably, so that – Again, they didn't mix together and or or even change each other. Or, or I, I think somebody at the time was arguing that at his baptism, some of these things changed. Sure, uh, that that he took on, uh, you know, godness at that mm-hmm. time. Or, yeah, uh, indivisibly, so that you, you know the first two are like okay, human and divine natures distinct. Mm-hmm. But then this third term comes along and says, but but they're united. Like they, they weren't like, you know, two – they weren't so separate in the sense that they're like completely unrelated to each other kind of thing. Yes, and, and it's important to again say this is a bit of a mystery to us yeah. sitting here today because I'm, I'm, I'm watching you and your face is all twisted <laughs> trying to even <laughs> yeah. Yeah. describe this. Sure. And, you know, this is, you know, over a thousand years later. Yeah. Uh, inseparably. So again, stressing the unity or the union of, uh, and even though the phrase uh, hypostatic union is not in this creed, that's a phrase that came to be used in theological discussions to reflect this union of the two Mm -hmm. natures. Um, So uh, those are some of the the key things that I think really to, uh, to highlight there. Now, Doc, what do you make of the phrase, born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God? Yeah. I mean, that's um, the Latin there. I looked this up is the God bearer. Interesting. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. I, I, anyway, the God, I think it was a Greek, uh, Theocatus, I believe. Huh. Um, the God bearer. What, what do you make of that term? Yeah. Well, you can certainly see how that language. Um, is going to lead mm-hmm. in some uh, directions that we as Protestants are not going to go. Yeah, we're not comfortable with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I, it's one of those things where um, I wouldn't want to put it that way um, as we're as we're talking today. Um, but, uh, yeah, I – I'm uncomfortable with that. You'd be okay just saying born of the Virgin Mary and then moving on from there? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. I, I think that's uh, <laughs> that's where I'd be comfortable as well. Um, um, I, I think I'd be okay getting rid of the God bearer. Well, but see, that's different though. The God – and maybe it's just a translation issue then. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of the one who bore God's – entrance physically into the world like that, um, you know, uh, at that point, I go, okay, I, I get what you're trying to say. But when you say the mother of God, I think that's getting a lot more complicated. Yeah, it's getting – it's going down a very Catholic road that, yeah. that you and I would prefer not to go down. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Probably definitely. Like, like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, I, as, as we sort of bring this to – this discussion to a close, John, why does this matter? I mean, why why does this matter just yeah. at a very practical level about the nature of the gospel? Yeah. Um, my understanding is it has everything to do with salvation, um, that, uh, that if Jesus is not God, um, then he can't forgive sin. 
Um, but also, if Jesus is not human, uh, then he, he can't take our place. He can't be our representative. Yeah. Um, so, so he must be both um, in order to accomplish salvation. Yeah. And, and that's really, I think, probably the place that we'd want to make sure we land on here as we kind of wrap this discussion up is it can be easy to get lost in the, the, the weeds of theological controversy and not land the plane on this is why it really matters. Mm-hmm. Because if he's not, like you said, if he's not God, then he can't forgive sin. And if he's not fully man, then he can't act on our behalf. He can't be our substitute. He can't represent us. Uh, and so we're we're left stuck in our sins. Yeah. yeah. So th- this matters. And mm-hmm. so it's the church's attempt to try to articulate in summary form what the Bible teaches about the nature of the two natures of Jesus and the one person that Jesus is. Yeah. Good good word. And uh this this uh this creed really marks the end of the patristic period, you know. Um yeah. By this point Rome is beginning to uh to be overthrown. Uh we're getting ready to enter the Middle Ages. Um Augustine I believe is has died by this point. Um or or if, I think so. if yeah. he hasn't is getting close. I think so by then. Um so so this is really the end of an era in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly uh, one of the marking points of the end of, like you said, the, the early church fathers. When mm-hmm. you start to think early church fathers, this is kind of the end point of that. Mm-hmm. And then the Middle Ages certainly brought some excellent scholars along, you know, um, um, Thomas Aquinas for for uh, for one. But, uh, but yes, it does end the mark of like really, really excellent early yeah. church fathers. Yeah. In terms of... Uh, Recommended resources, we're going to recommend pretty much the same uh, that we've had in the past same couple ones. weeks. We've got a new link, though. Uh, actually, that link for the summary of the Creed of Chalcedon there that's going to be in the show notes is uh, from someone other than Justin Holcomb. Uh, that's just a nice seven-minute mm-hmm. summary of what's going on with that. So we'll, we'll recommend that for your further pursuits. But – we are ready to move on to our athlete. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Episode sixty-three. John, who do we got? Yeah. So uh, first, uh, we have Gene Upshaw, um, who was uh, a guard for the Raiders. I think he was a pretty good NFL player. Is that he was a very good NFL yeah. player? Um, I I know him more as the uh, representing the players. Yeah. Uh, the players' association. Yeah. I, some of the stuff I he was you know. The end of his career was um, was really at the beginning of my awareness of, of pro football, so I didn't really know much about him. But I've seen people say he's one of the greatest Raiders of all time, and so the Raiders have had a lot of great players in their history. So, yeah, that's uh, that's our first guy. Who's next? Uh, Lee Roy Selman. Yeah, you remember, ever remember hearing about him? No, defensive no. end for the for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, that back in the day when they wore the orange creamsicle, yeah, the creamsicle, yeah, uniforms there in the Hall of Fame there. Hmm. I didn't realize they had Hall of Famers before Warren Sapp, really. <laughs> um, Willie uh, Lanier, Lanier, Lanier. Excuse yeah. me, Chiefs linebacker. Yep, uh, also in the Hall of Fame, sixties and seventies. Yes, and then uh, let's go to our Ohio State contingent. You've got Kirk Loudermilk. 
Nice. Center in the early 80s for the, for the Buckeyes. And then Michael Bennett was a defensive tackle. Not to be confused with the Michael Bennett who played for the Seahawks. Different Michael Bennett. Different we had Michael this conversation Bennett, yes. pre-pod. Um, yeah, Michael Bennett, the Ohio State grad, is still in the NFL, plays for the Falcons, but not the same caliber NFL player as Michael Bennett for the um, Seahawks. And if he's still with the Seahawks, I can't remember if he's moved on from there. But uh, in any case, any any inclinations, leanings? As much as I like the name Loudermilk. Um, it's a great name. Yeah. It's hard to beat Gene Upshaw and his contributions to football. Agreed. Um, just through his work with the Players Association, making it what it is today. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Gene Upshaw it is. John, one thing you liked. Oh, boy. I'm excited about this one. Um, <laughs> it's so weird and nerdy. Um, uh, there is a bench player for the New York Mets. His name is – you're going to love this name – Luis Guillaume. Okay. Luis Guillaume. He is spring training famous. Okay. Um, four or five years ago, a broken bat went into the dugout and he caught it one-handed <laughs> and threw it back on the field. It, he is spring training famous. Well, yesterday, uh, being Sunday, um, I put on the spring training game, was just doing other things around the house, and I looked up and Luis Guillaume – who's got an excellent glove and I think will make the big league roster this year, um, was up to bat and uh, the Cardinals put on the mound a, a flamethrower. He was hitting 102 on the gun consistently. Wow. Luis Guillaume fouled off uh, – well, fouled off a number of pitches. I don't know how many exactly, but drew a 22-pitch walk <laughs> in spring training. Uh, so Luis Guillaume drawing a 22-pitch walk um, is worth your time and uh, okay. worth the five minutes on social media. Okay. How about yourself, Doc? Yeah. So I'm going to go with um, – I just finished a, a novel this past weekend by Marilyn Robinson called Gilead. It's actually pretty well known. Hmm. Um, I think it came out maybe 10 years ago now. Um, it's about this uh, this – pastor in uh who who is uh lives in lives in the midwest is dying um of some sort of heart condition and he is uh writing like short journal entries slash letters to his young son he married late in life has this like five or six year old son and so he knows he's going to die. And so he's writing these letters about things that happened in the past, just hmm. important advice and telling the story of this um, friend of his who has a son who's kind of a prodigal who comes back into town and gets involved in their lives. And um, it's really good. It's really good. So Interesting. I would, uh, I would hmm. highly recommend that. So that's my one thing I liked. That's lovely. Yeah. Yeah, so we've talked about March Madness. A lot of madness. A lot of madness. Yeah. We've talked about the Creed of Chalcedon. We've talked about the hypostatic union, the two natures, the one person. The tome. <laughs> the tome of Leo. <laughs> we have talked about Gene Upshaw. We've talked about – what was the Mets player's name again? Luis Guillorme. <laughs> Okay. And we've talked about Marilyn Robinson's Gilead. I'm a little late to the party on that one. But I think by definition, 
we have covered our various and sundry topics. So uh, are you ready to call mission accomplished I here? think so. Okay. So all – well, before I sign off, I do want to remind you, sign up for the bracket competition. We would love to see a lot of people participate. Yes. So please make sure you find your way over there before Friday. Sign up and um, – yeah, we'd love to have the sort of listener participation piece oh, yeah. of uh, of this happen. So, But uh, I think having said that, all that's left to say now is until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.